Want to talk about a new movie? Check. Want to talk about an older movie similar or related to that new movie? Check. That's what you can expect from Quality Check Podcast. It's a new podcast on the Studio DNA Network hosted by yours truly, Drew Douglas and Daniel Posey. Every other Tuesday, we'll talk about a new movie and an old movie to see how the film's quality holds up. At Sif Pop, we're your movie friends. And are friends really friends if you don't know them? So grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And this week, I'm joined by Sif Pop writer, Joe. Hey, everybody. Uh, we are fistifpop.com, providing you movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting movie-related articles. Make sure to check out the website, sifpop.com, to keep up with that. Uh, Joe, how'd you feel about, we did a Batman best ever challenge last week. That was pretty fun. Yeah, it was fun. I actually got to cover, like, one of my favorite animated films. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would have taken it if you didn't. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even my initial choice, and I, and I thought about it, I was like, I already kind of already wrote about the initial Batman 1989, so it's kind of a blessing in disguise to get the, mm-hmm. uh, get under the hood, which is, like, one of my favorite Batman comic books, period. And yeah, film, so. yeah, it's for sure my favorite animated film. I love the the Jason Todd storyline. At least you know when he's not really Jason Todd anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think everyone likes him better when he's with the Red Hood. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah and then I man, I, I saw a couple on the list because you know so we've done movies with the Joker before. So we've we've done Under the Red Hood before and whatnot. But it was like there was a whole plethora of movies we didn't get to talk about because. A lot of these Batman movies wind up on lists, but like specifically Batman movies, and we try to make it Batman centric, so no like Flashpoint paradox. Um, but but I did include Justice League Do because that's a very Batman centric story, even though yeah, B- Batman's a, a focal point of that. He's yeah, he's the accidental antagonist of the uh... <laughs> at least for the first half. But yeah, for the first half, yeah. So we included that, and we you know included the like Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I guess we've done for versus movies before. So it's like. You know, it was cool to see some of those and um, especially to lend a little bit of expertise. You know, Robert essentially asking me like when we were compiling the list, he's like, which of these animated films are actually worth including? And so I took a list at what we had and I was like, I think the only ones that you should add are the the Return of the Cape Crusaders and um, uh, uh, Gotham by Gaslight. I'm like, those are both like interesting enough mm-hmm. you know, um, that that should be worth throwing out there. Gotham by Gaslight got written on, but um but it was the end of the week and i was just like shoot i planned on writing on one this week and i met um and i looked at the list and there's still three movies that i really would have loved to write about because there was uh batman and mr free sub-zero which i did wind up writing about and then uh justice league doom was still available by the end of the week and uh so was uh the teenage mutant ninja turtles it's like those those are all great so yeah it was a lot of fun um so, uh, but on the podcast, on the show today, we'll talk about uh, a coming attraction. Uh, we got Turning Red and The Atom Project coming out this week. Uh, we'll give our thoughts on those before, yeah, as they're getting ready to release. And we'll talk about the SIF topic. Comic book films, as always, since it's the second week, having Joe on. Uh, we, we decided The Shadow um, since the, the Batman came out this past week. And um, The Shadow, as, as you told me, is kind of the inspiration for, for Batman. So we can, we can talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit. Yep. A little bit more, and um, I thought for the B plot again since the Batman is coming out this week uh, or came out this week. Um, how can we save the DCEU? Um, one thing is for sure, uh, it needs saving. 
Um, pretty much everybody can agree on that. So how can we save it? Um, and then the spinoff, uh, quick recommend or warn from each one of us. Uh, but first, let's get a chance to know our writer this week. Joe, uh, you've been on the show every month, so uh, or most months for a while. And um, I thought this would be fun. I don't know that I don't know that we've done the list of shame game yet. Have we? I don't think so. I think we were supposed to do it when uh, when I when it was supposed to be Yumi and Frank for Marvel movies, and then uh, uh, schedule got in the way. So. Um, I think we were supposed to do it then. So, so I've asked you to come with uh, three movies, uh, and one of them that you haven't seen, and I will have to guess uh, which one of those I think that you have not seen. Trying to get three movies. Actually, I pre- prepare for this one, so it might be interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's to be like three uh, three movies, and one of them I like one of them I haven't seen. Correct. So three movies, the one and one of them that you have not seen, and then I have to guess that one that you have not seen. All right. Uh, okay. Um, a Clockwork Orange. Um, trying to blank. Trying to think of some movies. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think I missed this on the uh, notes. Um, That's okay. Yeah, it'll, the it'll, Seven it'll, it'll, it'll cut out all the blank spaces. Yeah, The Seven Samurai. Okay. Ooh, got a classic themes going on. And Citizen Kane. There we go. I've seen all three of these. That's fun. <sighs> I, I see arguments for all three of these. It's just which argument that I want to believe in. So, so it could be Clockwork Orange because of the of the content, because mm-hmm. um, it's a pretty disturbing film. It could be Seven Samurai because it's a three and a half hour movie. And it could be Citizen Kane because it's just one of those movies that will never live up to its reputation. Um, right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you've seen Seven Samurai, so I'm going to say the one that you haven't seen is Citizen Kane. You're correct. Oh, nice. What do you think of Clockwork Orange? Uh, Clockwork Orange is actually my top 10 favorite films of all nice. time. Yeah, and I've read the book a couple of times. Is the um, book worth reading? It is. I think it's actually more substantial and kind of like more, kind of stays with you more than the film does because hmm. it has a different resolution. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, actually, the author got upset. I that, love uh, the resolution to the movie, that, though. That Kubrick uh, like changed the ending. but uh, like Like just the final bit or like the final act? There's kind of like almost an entire act that he kind of like just like leaves out of the, oh. like out I, of the film. I, that's actually one of my favorite things about the film is that kind of like everybody that he wrongs in the past comes back to wrong him at his lowest point. Like, Oh, that, that all happens yeah. in the book too. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, there's just something yeah. else that happens in the book that he decided to kind of like just leave out. Okay, well, it could be for time constraints or something. But, right. Um, yeah, I think Clockwork Orange is actually my favorite Kubrick. Um, you know. Eyes Wide Shut is good, and I'm not a 2001 fan, but uh, uh, Shining is pretty great. But it's, there's something special about Clockwork. It's just you got to get you got to get used to like this is a movie that you have to know what you're getting into when you're watching it. So, yeah, like you said, it nail nail me head. Like it's very disturbing. Right, right. And if you're like not in the right mindset and know what they're like, they're aiming for or what they're going for, um, for as sure. far as like conveying what capital punishment does to people and that it doesn't really you know doesn't really work. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's just, gosh, you know, it's, I mean, it's more of a horror movie than The Shining is, like, yeah, <laughs> and that's, saying, that's saying something, man, that's, yeah, that movie freaks me out. Um, I bought the 4K of it recently, I just haven't popped it in yet, so excited to see how that turns out. Um, am, I, am I right in the Citizen Kane reasoning? It's just, like, one of those old movies that it's like, it'll never be that good, so why bother? It's one of those movies that, like, I'll get around to watching it. I, I know that it's still kind of, like, upheld as a classic due to technical aspects. Mm-hmm. Like it did things like way way ahead of its time, and like had like a really crazy twist ending, which those kind of dime a dozen now. And uh, yeah, I heard more more or less like 
the thing that really kind of upholds it is still its technical aspects that like people are still using today. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hope you enjoy it more than I do. <laughs> uh, Robert and I actually Robert and I covered Citizen Kane and Seven Samurai on the podcast before, so maybe one day we'll get to clockwork. Um, all right, for my three, I went with a theme. I went with um, Tim Burton uh, animated movies. Um, okay. So I know he didn't direct uh, all these, but uh, so we have Frankenweenie, The Corpse Bride, and The Nightmare Before Christmas. Which I think there's fan theories out there that are that those three make one connected trilogy. Um, I think there's things that dispute them, but um, I can see how they could be connected though in some way. Yeah, I think there's like Frankenweenie is supposed to be zero in the afterlife, and uh, Corpse Ride is supposed to be Jack. And I, th- I think there's lots of things that kind of support and deconstruct that. Uh, but yeah, so Frankenweenie, Corpse Ride, and Nightmare Before Christmas. I've not seen one of these. Take a wild guess. I'll say Corpse Ride. I have seen the Corpse Ride. Um, it's Frank and Weenie is the one I haven't seen. That was going to be my. I was like, "There's no way you haven't seen Nightmare Before Christmas." Right, right. <laughs> no, it's, it's year, right? yeah, it's one of my favorites, and I figured that's kind of that's kind of a dead giveaway. But and especially like for those that have been following the podcast, Robert and I talked about that like way back in one of the beginning. Um, so yeah, the. Um, uh, you know, so it just comes down to Corpse Pride and Frank and Weenie, and Frank and Weenie's kind of old, you know, newer. It's more my generation, but nope, I haven't seen it yet. I own it, but um, animation is just one of those that, like, if I start it after a certain point, it just puts me to sleep. I don't know what's doing it with me, but we'll see. You know, I'll see it sometime. So. Yeah, I'll get around to it. Yeah, I hear it's good. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, that was fun. Uh, so then I have one more question for you before we get moving something non-movie related, something totally random. Uh, Joe, when you wake up in the morning, do you make your bed? Uh, I definitely don't, especially now after having a kid, like I barely can even function. So no, I don't, I don't make my bed. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely but, don't do that. It's on like the top it, of the list. It's, well, it's one of those things that it's like, you know, like it, it feels like it's one of those things that people have gotten like, what's the point in it, right? You know, it doesn't matter if you, you, I'm not expecting anybody over. And if I am, why are you in my bedroom? Like, you know, <laughs> like, like whoever's listening, like if we get to meet up in person someday, cool. Don't come in my bedroom. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think people mainly do it as like a ritual, like an endorphin boost, right? Just get their mind maybe in the morning. Maybe, probably. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite a little bit though. Like I don't, I don't fully make and tuck in corners and all that, but I definitely uh, will pull over sheets. And whatnot. Um, part of that too is like we have dogs, so like if the dogs are going to get on the bed, you can kind of contain where the shedding is going to be, as right. opposed to you know getting it inside the sheets and all that. But uh, but my wife is uh, is a don't make the bed kind of person, so I make both sides of our bed most days. <laughs> so um, yeah, so cool. Well, uh, let's talk about some coming attractions. We got um, uh, Turning Red and the Adam Project coming out. Um, this week. So, Joe, which one do you feel like talking about first? Um, let's go ahead and talk about The Adam Project first. All right, The Adam Project. So this is a new Netflix movie coming out. Uh, Ryan Reynolds uh, being the star of this. Um, let's see here. Oh, I'm not typing in Netflix, typing The Adam Project. Um, <laughs> so this will come out on, on uh, Netflix, I think, probably next week. No, I don't I don't know with Netflix release strategy, right? Because it's it's always weird because some of their movies they put out in theaters for a week and some of them they don't. I can't imagine this will be an Oscar contender though. So like it just no. says March 11th, but like is that in theaters or on Netflix? I don't know. I guess find out when 
go to Netflix on Friday. Like, I know when I was looking at Netflix today, I know that it comes out on Netflix on Friday, but I'm not, I'm not sure about theaters. Okay. It, it probably has a limited run, but I just know right. like in order to qualify for Oscars, they have to have it in theaters. But like, they're not going to shoot for Oscars for this movie. Um, so um, this, maybe some technical stuff. I mean, yeah. we'll get into it, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, synopsis for here is a time-traveling pilot teams up with a, his younger self and late father to come to terms with his past while saving the future. Uh, directed by Sean Levy. Uh, written by Jonathan Tropper, T.S. Nowlin, and Jennifer Flackett. Starring Ryan Reynolds, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Jennifer Gardner, um, Catherine Keener, uh, Zoe Saldana. Uh, kind of looks like our, our important people. Um, Sean Levy, of course, uh, is the director of probably most notably, um, I guess, Free Guy, maybe? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I know, I mean, most recently know him from. I mean, he did The Nightmare Before, or The Night at the Museum movies. Right. Um, and, like, that, those certainly were at least box office hits. Um, you know, Cheaper by the Dozen, Big Fat Liar. Just married, Pink Panther, two thousand gross. Um, <laughs> Real, Real Steel is a great one. Uh, the internship, a couple, t- a little bit of TV stuff here. Yeah, and directed some uh, Stranger Things episode. Yeah, I, I guess maybe maybe Free Guys is most popular at least right now. Probably Night at the Museum as a whole, though. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. Overall, it's like building up a franchise. Probably Night at the Museum for sure. And he directed all three of those. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so what are your thoughts on the Adam Project? Again, let's, let's assume this is theatrical only. Let's assume nothing's keeping you there. No time constraints, no budget restraints, nothing. Uh, COVID restrictions or code fears, all that. Nothing except for, uh, uh, your own free will. When do you think you would check this out? Do you think you would go opening weekend, wait for a matinee, wait so you can rent it at home, wait till it's on the streaming service you already pay for, or are you just not interested in seeing the, the Adam Project? I think due to like a lot of its like visual accomplishments and like the way it looks, um, I think it'd be good as like a matinee movie. Just like visually, it looks good. Um, the creative team behind it, like we mentioned, you mentioned Levy. Um, all his projects have been not all of them, but most of the ones that I have seen have been pretty solid and, and pretty fun. Uh, especially Free Guy, I actually really enjoyed Free Guy. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's it's nice to see him and Ryan Reynolds team up. Um, it looks like there was a good um, kind of synergy match with those two. Mm-hmm. So I, I I can imagine a movie being pretty entertaining. It doesn't look like it's anything ridiculously creative or. <laughs> It seems pretty run-of-the-mill, kind of time travel kind of sci-fi, mm-hmm. um, kind of family movie. But uh, the cast looks great. The visual effects look really impressive. Um, but uh, yeah, but overall, it, just, it looks like a lot of fun. And I'm still not tired of Ryan Reynolds. Like I still, I still enjoy him playing his like his kind of like uh, sar- snarky, snar- uh, sarcastic type characters. So like that really that works for me still. So it's been really fun to like see how he, he his whole persona just kind of transfer- transferred to that because. You know, he started off being like Van Wilder and all that, and then he kind of tra- tried to transition to more serious roles with like Green Lantern and Safe House and kind of along those lines. And then like that just wasn't quite working. And then you know, getting more into the like just silly, goofy adult man child roles, and like <sighs> it- it's crazy that he's been doing this for like a long time now, and it's and it's not old. Like it's, I'm still excited to any time to see him. So like the fact that Ryan Reynolds is in it is at least making me in the streaming category. Um, but I'll agree with you. Why not a matinee for this one? Um, you know, this looks like a, a good chunk of fun. I'm a sucker for some time travel movies. Um, I'm a sucker for sucker for some sci-fi. Sean Levy's got a good reputation. Ryan Reynolds has a good reputation. I mean, he kind of takes whatever he thinks he can have fun with. But like, if he's having fun, I'm having fun. Uh, right. You know, Zoe Saldana's usually in like quality films you don't really see her in many stinkers um 
There's yeah, visually, like I see, no, I see not really reasons to like not want to watch this movie. But it's also not necessarily one that like can really just push it to the next level for me to be like, yeah, I got to see that as soon as I can. So it's like a, yeah, I would like to see that if I can get around to it. If not, no big deal. You know? Yeah. And but, it changes it since it'll be on Netflix because it's like, yeah, like ease of access, convenience, you know? Exactly. Like it's not going to light the world on fire as far as being entirely original or anything. But I mean, that's, that's not always why we watch movies. Right. Not every movie needs to be wholly original and light the world on fire. Sometimes you need some escapism, something, you know, just to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes be your, you be in your mind your... for like, you know, that hour, hour and a half, two hours. You know what I mean? Just. Yeah. You're uh, I'm trying to think of a good example um, of your, your jackass forever. Right. Sometimes you just kind of need that, you know, <laughs> need that, uh, that bit of levity. Yeah. 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 And maybe a little bit less, you know, fart, poop and pee and penis, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. But yeah, sometimes you just need your your. I mean, th- that's why Roland Emmerich like has such a career too, is because sometimes you just need to watch big, big dumb, stupid movie. And right, you know, sometimes <laughs> big, stu- big dumb, stupid movie isn't fun. It's just infuriating, and so it it you know may may, may you know sometimes. But um, I don't know, this looks this looks like a little bit more of Ryan Reynolds' like serious side. Um, I mean, he still looks like he's having fun, but this 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 is not like Ryan Reynolds of Deadpool or anything like that so like Hobson Shaw so like you know there, there's there's interest in that for me too you know obviously it's not going for super serious because they cast Ryan Reynolds in it but you know this isn't this isn't going for like a, a complete sham of itself or a complete sham like just this isn't this isn't looking like that kind of one either so it's like it's nice to see that you know yeah so I think this one was actually even originally slated to be a December release uh, and then got pushed back because everything came out in December. So I don't know. Maybe maybe they saw it as an Oscar push, and then it wasn't ready. And they're like, "Oh, well, we want to get it out there because you know Ryan Reynolds is 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 money." You know. Um, so who knows? Maybe it is quite. Maybe it is kind of that Oscar caliber, but um, it's just it's just not quite got that like really got to get me in there. You know. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, do you have any other thoughts? No, I I, I think I think we about covered it. Um... Yeah, like like we're saying, just it looks it looks fun. Visuals are impressive. Um, it has a really robust cast, and, and the overall creative teams they're trustworthy as far as bringing out the, something uh, something of quality. So. Sure. Yeah, I mean the only only points of concern I can think of is um, you know just because Ryan's in a, Ryan Reynolds is in a movie doesn't mean it's necessarily good. I, mean, I still haven't gotten around to Red Notice, but I know most people are pretty middling on that. Um, you know, it's just because Netflix invests, just because Netflix invests, you know, dollars into a movie doesn't mean it's going to be worth the dollars they invest into it. You know, see bright, for example. Um, yeah, but, I, that, that, I think it's the only red flag for me is that Netflix movies are sometimes not the best. Uh, I mean, they make some good stuff too. They make some great stuff too, but yeah. it's just, it, it, it's not one of those things like to me, if, if Apple TV plus is releasing a movie, it's got that seal of approval already. Like this is going to be worth watching. Um, you know, I think that. Um, bigger projects for Disney Plus is it, are more reputable. Some of your like Home Sweet Home Alone, you're like, yeah, like obviously that wasn't ever going to be good. But you know, some of your, right. <laughs> um, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a cheat because really that Disney Plus stuff is just uh, the, the movies at least are just pulled from theaters because of the pandemic, like Soul and um, Raya and some of that other onward, some of that other stuff. So uh, uh, Hulu is a pretty good bet. Um, they don't make a ton. They're pretty okay bet, and I mean HBO Max is a great bet, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I just Netflix is kind of one of those like you're going to get something really good or you're going to get something really bad. 
it's going to be one of the two. Um, and then my other concern is just there are three writers on the movie and none of them are the director. And that's not necessarily something that mean that means bad. I mean, that's the way that most of the Marvel movies have been in the last while. But like, it's it is just a small point of concern. You know, anytime you have more than two writers on a film in general, but then you add three writers plus Sean plus a completely different director plus Ryan Reynolds, who likes to have a lot of creative input in the stuff that he's doing, and he's earned that. So like, there's a, there's probably at least five influences on this movie, and sometimes. Less is definitely more. So um, yeah. that's the only red flags. But uh, but let's talk about Turning Red, though. This will be another um, exclusive. Speaking of Disney Plus stuff, uh, this will be on Disney Plus on the 11th as well. So on Friday. Um, so it's a surprising move. It start At the start of 2022, um, P- Pixar announces that Turning Red is shifting to Disney Plus exclusively as opposed to theaters, um, which I was seeing these previews a lot in theaters. And then all of a sudden, I stopped seeing them. Guess why? Uh, <laughs> so in a shocking move, uh, Pixar's newest movie is turned from uh, from theatrical exclusive to Disney Plus. Somebody at, at uh, Pixar must have made whoever's in charge of Disney Plus mad. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, synopsis for this one is a 13-year-old girl named Mei Li turns into a giant red panda whenever she gets too excited. Uh, let's see. Um, trying to think of any notable actors, actresses in here. There's a lot of faces that you'll know, um, like Sandra Oh. Uh, and she, I mean, she's got enough of a reputation that you'll. But like James Hong, I feel like is a face that you'll know. But uh, I don't, I don't really know how else to describe him. A very, um, very a- uh, Asian central centric cast, cast, blah, which is uh, really appreciated for uh, for this movie, considering it's also crew as well. It's very. Um, let's see. James Hong played Hannibal in Blade Runner. That's a good way to. And uh, James Hong is uh, also in uh, has a brief role in the film that we'll be talking about later too. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I didn't. Not quite. Uh, he he's, he doesn't have the most notable role in in the film, but yeah, right. Um, I think he's most well known as Lo Pan from uh, Big Trouble Little China. Big Trouble Little China. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's also voices Mister Ping in Kung Fu Panda, but like you know, yes. voice work is not not necessarily the most like. Oh yeah, that guy. Uh, let's see. This is directed by uh, Dome Shi and uh, written by Julia Chow and the director. Uh, yeah, this. I think this is a, about a. I think Mei Li is a transfer student from China to or from somewhere in uh, in in Asia to the U.S. I I want to say Ohio for some reason. I I don't know that that's right. Uh, even even close. Anyway, I think she gets becomes a transfer student um in the u.s i could be totally wrong about that it's been a while since i watched the trailer but i was like yeah i've seen it a bunch of times um anyway poops into a giant red panda whenever she gets too excited um so joe turning red uh again let's assume this is theatrical exclusively as far as i know it won't be released anywhere theatrically um maybe your local indie but even then probably not um uh so same same scales how soon do you think you'd be checking this one out opening weekend uh, wait for a matinee, which you can rent it at home, streaming service you already pay for, or not interested in it. Uh, for, for me, you're most like Pixar things. It's it's opening weekend, and mm-hmm. I'll have to say the same thing for this. Like, I, I actually really like the trailer. Um, I like the the usage of uh, music in the trailer. That was really fun. They used in sync. It's going to be me. Mm-hmm. I actually really enjoy their music. So that was pretty cool. Um, me too. Um, overall, enjoyed like the theme that they're trying to convey that her motions kind of control this like 
I guess it's a it's a curse, correct? That she ends up turning into a red panda. I mean, curse if you want to call it, but it's a, it's a family like this happens to the family. It's kind of like it kind of reminds me of like this generation's uh, Teen Wolf. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Um, I actually really enjoy that film. Mm-hmm. Um, the art style is really cool, like the, how expressive like the eyes are and like the facial expressions. It kind of reminds me of like um, the anime and uh, manga director um, Otomo and his art. He uh, most notably worked on Akira and Steam Boy, so it's very expressive eyes and like very like um, kind of large facial expressions. So I kind of like the way the art style looks. It looks really amazing. Uh, just how colorful it looks. Um, I, I always feel like Pixar kind of always brings that punch of color to the screen. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, um, I was pretty impressed by it. Um, I can't wait to watch it on Friday. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll say opening weekend as well. Um, I mean, again, most Pixar project is going to get there. Uh, it's going to be opening weekend or matinee for for pr- pretty much any Pixar project. I don't know unless they announce Cars Four, but um, <laughs> right <laughs> uh, or you know. Uh, good dinosaur too or whatever um yeah <laughs> but but no th- this but this genuinely looks good as well like it, it it had moments in the trailer that made me laugh um it had it had a good vibe to it in general i i was never mad even though it came on for literally every movie i saw in the theaters uh from like december 1st to january you know 15th or whatever like at the time where i'm going to theaters a lot for awards movies like it's it's constantly on it's like i'm not i'm not mad anytime it comes up you know sometimes like I get really frustrated. Like you know, I'm happy the Batman is out, so I can finally stop seeing trailers for it. Like, uh, and again, nothing you know, nothing against like whatever, but it's just like, it, yeah, I've seen it. Like, please, like show me something else. You know, um, I, I have a feeling that's going to be um, at least for the next couple weeks. The uh, the new like Nicolas Cage movie, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I've seen that one at every theater experience for the past like four or five of them. Um, but again, just saying like that one, like I. I'm not mad when it comes on. I have a good time. Um, the animation looks great. The real, the real thing that I think just makes me really excited for this one is the fact that um, that this is a uh, a very eclectic, a very like non traditional, you know, white America um, uh, cast and crew. Um, this is the fourth. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, Sandra O's oh fourth fourth film for Disney and fourth Pixar film to have music composed by a non recurring composer. Um, this is a second Pixar film to be directed by a female. Uh, fifth Pixar film to have the main protagonist uh, be a female. First Pixar film to be directed by a woman of color. Uh, third, let's see. I'm oh, sorry. Um, I thought there was like one or two more other things. It just it feels like most of this cast and crew are uh, people that it it just feels like this really like really like Disney is really backing the filmmakers and making the film that they want to make. Um, and, and also it'd be a, like a normal story, like quote unquote normal, right? Nothing's really normal anymore, but like, there's no, like, you know, like Ryan, the last dragon, like, it's great that they had a lot of people like from that region making that movie, but this doesn't necessarily have to be made by, by Asians or Asian Americans or, um, you know, wherever, wherever these people come from, it, it, it doesn't have to be that way. This is a simple, regular story, right? Yeah. And hopefully I didn't say anything like that. I don't think I did, but I don't know. Like, ho- like hopefully I didn't say anything that is offensive to anybody. So uh, if I did apologize, somebody tell me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like it, it just doesn't feel like, you know, nothing about this movie is, is whitewashed, including the plot, but even though the plot could have easily been right. Or the right. premise. So um, that gets me excited, you know? 
yeah there's there's a lot of like great diversity within this movie and uh none of it feels like it's like i hate when people say like things are forced or like things are like Mm -hmm. but no it is important to have other people from other cultures represented like like i just watched Encanto today and it was amazing Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed it you know what i mean like i like to see different perspectives and different people so it's cool to have that entirety of, of that mix in this one film um and kind of like show there's like an eclectic mix when you like i grew like i'm i live in california like we have, you know, kids and like people of all different races and ethnicities. So mm-hmm. it's great to see that in film now, but you wouldn't have seen that, you know, even like 10 years ago. So, right, right. <laughs> well, and, and for like my neck of the woods, I live in Iowa. Like there's like one demographic in our state. Like, you know, it's, it's nice to get some exposure. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that film is a medium that people can experience other people's cultures. Um, and, and it not feel gimmicky. It doesn't feel like a gimmick for this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's my, my, my main thoughts, but like the trailer makes me laugh a couple times each time. Like this looks genuinely funny. And of course, Pixar animation is, uh, like next level <laughs> God tier, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean the, the X factor for this one to move it from matinee to opening weekend is the Pixar label. If this didn't have Pixar on it, you know, maybe I'd be in, uh, um, in the matinee class i mean i'd still be really high on it but like it's that extra picture like oh you know they're gonna turn this into something special like you know they're holding off on some of the really because like even onward like i didn't expect hardly anything from onward and i really loved onward like and i'm not a dungeons and dragons person at all so it's just like they they managed to squeeze in really great stuff and keep it a secret so um yeah just kind of knowing there's an x factor coming you know that that itself is the x factor <laughs> yeah so uh, cool. I'm I'm out of thoughts for turning red. Do you have any more, or do you are you good? I think the thing that really stands out to me as well is that like I loved her short that she did. Bow. Like I thought it was like one of the best shorts I've seen. Yeah. For Disney period. So that gets me really excited uh, to see what she could do with a feature feature length film. That so. was one of those that like the first time I watched it because it was attached to Incredibles two, right? Yes. Like. When I saw it in theaters, I was just like, oh, this is really charming and cute. And then the ending happens and you're like, oh, or I guess really the, <laughs> the part where she swallows the, and you're like, oh, like this went some places. But like by the time that it's done and you're like, it's like, what a beautiful way to tell the story. And like, it definitely causes some discomfort, but like it's supposed to. Um, and yeah, you're, it, it nails, it nails a ton of different emotions in such a short time. Imagine how many emotions she can hit in 90, you know, 90 minutes. I assume this movie will be, I guess it's not released, but um yeah i well, didn't even know i didn't even know that she made the the bow short so yeah she, she directed that, that um and also she's been part of the animation department on some of their bigger projects um we we will not mention the good dinosaur not a very good movie <laughs> but she's worked on incredibles 2 and inside out and inside that's so. my favorite pixar movie so yeah that's, that's definitely good good points there yeah so she's been on tons of great projects um so yeah i'm, I'm just excited overall. oh yeah and uh oscar winning because uh bow won the oscar for animated short it did <laughs> so, rightfully well so deserved. yeah well deserved so yeah so also bow um making the um uh, making the oscars uh cool so uh there you go there's your there's your two picks for something to check out this weekend for if you're wanting to check out a new release turning red on disney plus and adam project on netflix um so if you pay for both of those congratulations you get two new blockbusters this weekend uh no additional charge to you um, should, I guess, I don't know if it's worth noting, this Turning Red is not that Disney Plus Premier Access. It's just, like, free with your subscription. This isn't, you have to pay $30 to unlock it. 
unless they're going to sneak that in there when it releases. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, cool. Well, before we move on to the SIF topic, quick uh, Patreon shout out. So uh, patreon.com slash SIFPOPWR in case you're interested in joining. There are three tiers you can sign up for, $5, $10, $15. Uh, $5 gets you access to each episode uh, early. Uh, coming up on Tuesday mornings, uh, and the ten dollars tier gets you access to special bonus episodes. Turning Red is actually going to be the March Patreon exclusive. So if you're interested in hearing my thoughts on that after it comes out, um, we'll we'll be I'll be talking some Turning Red over there. Uh, exclusive for patrons at the ten dollar and up perk, and twenty dollars a month or up, you get to, a chance to tell me something that you specifically want me to see um, this month: a movie, a TV show, a book, whatever, um, a video game, if you desire, um, and. Uh, uh, and then even with the $20 tier, at least as it currently stands, you'll also get access to see all of the other um, $20 a month tier members' suggestions. So lots of st- fun stuff happening over there, patreon.com slash WR. But let's move on to the SIF topic. Let's talk about The Shadow. Uh, Joe, a little bit of history with The Shadow, because I'd never heard of this movie before. So you want to you wanna provide a little bit of context? Yeah, I, um, I decided it'd probably be like, a really good movie to talk about, just because it's strongly related to not only... Um, Batman as a whole, but like the entirety of the comic book genre, like it predates the comic book genre. It created a lot of the things that we know today, like the different, like the superhero archetype as a whole. Um, the you know super villains having an alter ego, um, having like special abilities or powers. Um, it, it 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 added a lot to that and has influenced you know. But like I said, Batman. Bill Finger admitted that like a lot of the early stories of Batman were um, kind of directly inspired. I mean, uh, Batman used to carry a pistol. He used to take lethal force. Um, you know, just overall the way he dresses, the fact that he has like alter ego. You know, he has Bruce Wayne and Batman, mm-hmm. um, like Lamont Cranston and the Shadow. Um, and also, Alan Moore um, credited the Shadow as far as an influence on the appearance for V from V from Vendetta. And uh, you can see the strong resemblance with those characters. Oh yeah, um, for sure. And they both definitely take lethal force. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, for you sure. Know, when they uh, when they encounter foes, so. Yeah, I just thought it would be interesting to to talk about since it, it really um, influenced that entire genre and kind of like without the shadow, we didn't have a lot of the trappings that we have today for superheroes, especially like the vigilante variety. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so we figured, especially if this could be such foundational, not just a Batman, but the comic book general with the Batman being, you know, a, a massive smash hit, you know, the shadow. So uh, 1994 film, um, this is available on Cinemax. Um or you can rent or buy places. Uh, but Cinemax is your streaming service that you can check this one out for free, or I guess with a subscription. Um, um, I rented it because I don't have Cinemax. So I uh, rented it via Voodoo. But uh, full disclosure out there, warned for spoilers. So we'll talk about anything and everything in this movie. Everything is on the table. Um, so if you are really interested in checking this one out for a fresh start, uh, maybe now's a good time to pause, go watch it, and come back. Um, or, you know, skip ahead a little bit and... Uh, and uh, in that. I don't I don't necessarily know that this is a movie that like you need to be like, you know, like, oh I really want to see it, like I'm gonna stay away from it. You know, it's it's it, it's we'll talk about things, but I don't know that hearing some spoilers is gonna ruin your experience. But in nineteen thirties in New York City, the Shadow battles his nemesis, uh Shiwan uh, Kang, who is building an atomic bomb. That's very simplistic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, let's see, here's the, here's the longer version of IMDb. Uh, based on the 1930s Pulp Fiction radio drama series, this movie pits the hero against his archman enemy who plans to take over the world by holding a city ransom, using an atomic bomb, using his powers of invisibility, and quotes the power to cloud men's minds. 
The shadow comes blazing to the city's rescue with explosive results. That's a much better synopsis. Yeah, I think it's a little more on point. But, I mean, overall, the plot is very simple. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Overall, the plot is good guy versus bad guy, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Which, I mean, most most plots can be boiled down to that. Uh, You know, good versus evil. But, uh, but yeah. Um, Okay, so The Shadow. Joe, what's your history with this one? I've already mentioned I've never heard of this movie until you mentioned it. I've definitely heard of it, especially when it came out. I just never uh, watched it. Um, okay. I don't know why it never really piqued my interest, um, which is which is really odd, um, since I'm into superheroes and very into Batman. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I've always heard that he was an influence of the character, especially the early work uh, of Bill Finger as the writer of Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I just recently saw it. I saw it as soon as you did. I watched it twice to prepare for this. Um, so I don't have like a huge background with it. But okay. I heard kind of mixed things about it, and I heard it was kind of a cult classic. So sure. probably give it a view, give it a view. This feels kind of like a cult classic movie, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, the shadow. Um, so what did you think about it, Joe? Did you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I think I'm kind of on the low end of like it. Um, I I think if it um, kind of corrected things in the script and, and punched up a few things um, in the action department, I think it could have been like a like a really great film. I just think there's like there's aspects of the film that are missing, but um, I think most notably the the visual effects were kind of ahead of its time as far as like the the matte paintings look really great. Um, the way they're able to expand New York to make it look more expansive. I mean, a lot of stuff is filmed on the Universal lot, and some of it you can tell, but most of it you can't. Like they actually do a good job of like kind of like giving it a wider scope. Um, well, like let's the- not like oversell this. Like you could definitely tell like. This is a '90s action, you know, special effects. Um, like they're 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 not like supreme. They're not superb, but they're solid. You know, they're 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 pretty solid for the time. The, for the I time, think, especially yes. Right. But like these aren't ones that you're gonna go look at and be like, oh wow, these hold up really well. Like they're well, fine. especially the CGI. You're, I mean, they use it sparingly, but like if you really look at it closely, it's it's pretty. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of the like the sequence where the hotel reappears. And it's like right. It, some, know, some of those optics. <laughs> it it should have been so much worse than it actually is, and it's it's fine, like ahead of its time, yeah. And especially, there's no way this movie got a massive budget. Uh, um, I think it had a pretty pretty large budget. Uh, Twenty five million. I mean, that's that's pretty big for the nineties. It's pretty big for the nineties. Um, yeah, but but yeah, I think. It's technical aspects are definitely where it kind of shines. Like the lighting's really nice, especially when they use effects, when he's using his abilities, like it's really well done. It has that kind of detective noir type of classic feel to it. Um, the way they shoot things. Um, there's like this really impressive shot where they're tracking down through a pipe where a message is being delivered. It's like one of the more impressive shots of the entire movie. Um, some nice transitions. Um, and the, uh, the two leads, like I actually like the two leads. I think Alec Baldwin and Penelope Ann Miller, they work really well together and they have a really good synergy. Um, so that really worked for me in the movie. Um, and I like Shiwan Khan. Uh, John Long in the movie is pretty awesome as the villain. Um, mm-hmm. he, he chews up scenery really well. Uh, I mean, I use that, I use that a lot, but he really does in this film. Like <laughs> you could definitely tell he's, he's very mustache twirly type of villain, but like it works for this type of kind of pulp film. Uh, sure. But yeah, I'm, I'm overall enjoy the film besides a lot of its shortcomings, especially in the action department. It doesn't have a lot of action. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was pretty surprised by, uh, but I mean, o- overall, I liked it. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. 
Um, well, especially back in the 90s where any property that had any sort of action, the action was always cranked up to 11. And so it always just became like, how can we how can we attach a string of action sequences together? This one. Yeah, you're right. Surprisingly, not that many. Yeah, it's very subdued, which I, it's commendable in some respects, but other respects, like you guys could have like punched it up a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's I, I felt I felt the length of the movie. Um, yeah. It's an hour and 48 minutes. So um on the like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, I think it's just okay scale. I'm I'm gonna go low end of just okay, so a little lower than you, but like not you know not anywhere near like a like a oh I hated watching this movie or anything like that. So um, I agree with you. I think Alec Baldwin is actually like really good in this role, and yeah. one of the first things that I kind of noticed is is he is so good in this role. Uh, like it just makes you wonder, like what if they would have cast Alec Baldwin as Batman? for right. like batman forever but <laughs> like he would make a really great batman at least bruce wayne you know um but like i feel like he could have been a really great batman in his prime and um uh, you know like especially if well i mean i guess if tim burton would have stayed on then so would michael keaton but like you know if you if you get the tone of of tim burton um instead of joel schumacher and you put alec ball like that that could have really worked so and this film yeah. definitely channels that 1989 batman energy like that's it, it really has that does <laughs> It really does. Well, this, yeah, the five years after Batman 89. Right. I wonder if they finally just got the the green light because they were like, oh, Burton's, you know, people like this. So, you know, go for it. Uh, you know, why not? But, um, but yeah, no, he was really great. The, the one, one thing was very apparent to me at the beginning, and that is that you can tell, I mean, it, it's kind of the reverse now. I, I felt like this was a Batman ripoff, but you can really tell that really Batman is the, the shadow ripoff. In a lot of different regards, um, because I mean, first of all, the whole opening sequence is like this is Batman Begins. <laughs> like, right. this is this is very League of Shadows esque. You know, this is very much you know with the with the Ra's al Ghul and uh, and Bruce Wayne kind of stuff. I mean, um, like it's like this is like really similar. And then you have like the fact that uh, this is New York City, but like it kind of feels like Gotham. I mean, I know Gotham is more based off of Chicago, but like. They they have very similar feelings because the shadow is set in the 30s. Um, so like you kind of get your like I don't know um, like kind of that gangster prohibition era, you know, yeah. um, the Al Capone era. Like all the big cities are are pretty similar. Um, it's like the architecture, like the the type of dress, yeah. like everything about it is. I mean, there you do you do see the Empire State Building in here, but um, you know, aside from some landmarks like. Gotham feels. I mean, obviously, Gotham, Gotham's a lot grimier, but like you know, you 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 can feel the influence um, uh, of the kind of city that this is. Um, yeah, just the the kind of the kind of dual nature that that Baldwin has to play between you know being uh, uh, being the shadow and being uh, Lamont. Like you can just feel like he's he's a mature version of he's a mature way of the thinking that Bruce Wayne has. Um, you know, you could t- like, because he's, correct me if I'm wrong, he's, he's lived like a long time. Like, I think I understood that correctly. Like, he's not like a, a normal human. Like, I, I, they wonder... show, I thought, I thought that was a, f- because of this movie's kind of psychic energy to it, a little bit of extra mysticism to it than something like Batman. Like there's, there's a sequence where it shows him like in a samurai outfit fighting with swords. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm meant to interpret this as a vision or as, reality yeah there's somewhere in like tibet i think at the beginning right so yeah he 
he became kind of like an opium like opium like lord after the after world war one so it is a little confusing because they're using like they're not using like modern weaponry either when he's like taking over villages and like he's this big kind of overlord kind of kingpin guy but yeah he's not like he's not like super old or anything uh, right he, he just it's- saw a lot a lot of like kind of despair and terrible things in the war and it turned him completely to to crime so it basically became like this opium like drug lord um, okay and that's why he got pulled in uh to begin with by um i forgot what the character's name that pulls him in and like like yeah you're gonna pay for like what you did and you're gonna you know and that's why he ends up teaching him these abilities to begin with to kind of like um amend for what he's done in his life that was that the no that wasn't the the jane Pong character um yeah i'm i'm can't put a name on it right now. So I, I guess that it's just because so so he's not immortal. I, I just, it felt, I mean, this is part of the problem with costume designs and set design and stuff like that. Like, I felt like at least that sequence was meant to show that in in a past life or in, you know, a while ago when I lived here, like, that he fought in more of a, like, samurai kind of era. But, um but yeah, I, I guess I guess now I'm thinking about more more of some of the other things that happen in this movie. I guess that's probably not true. And anyway, but there is a little bit more mystic element to this stuff um, than your than your traditional Batman. And um, I, I meant I brought that up be, that uh, mortality question because it really feels like um, it, it really feels like this is an experienced person that we're dealing with. And so when he comes across the love interest uh, Margot, the Penelope Ann Miller character, um, like. He he knows immediately. Like he he makes a comment to the cab driver or his 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 uh um chauffeur. He makes a comment that like she's bad news, and he's like for the city's like for me. Like he like you can tell he's like he he knows like oh I'm I'm gonna get in trouble if I hang out with this woman. So uh, like you can tell there's, there's like a matured aspect to him. You know he's pretty logical, pretty rational. He's thought things through. You know. Yeah. So. Um, and speaking of his chauffeur, um, this movie has a lot of stars in it. I mean, we've already mentioned Penelope and Miller, um, Alec Baldwin, um, uh, James Hong, and uh, uh, you, you mentioned uh, uh, John Lone playing uh, Shuan Khan. Uh, but also like Ian McKellen, Tim Curry, Peter Boyle coming in here. Like, that's a, that's a pretty sweet grab, you know? Yeah, it's got a really expansive cast. And, and um, they definitely utilize most of them really well. Um, <laughs> Ian McKellen's great, but his American accent is it it's not the best. Yeah. Um but his character's fun. And uh there's a there's a joke that there's a running gag that actually works towards the end of the film really well with him being colorblind. Yeah, yeah. So um It's a lot of fun. That's really fun. Um but yeah, I actually really enjoyed um Penelope Ann Miller as Margot Lane. She had her moments that she was pretty okay and she had her moments that I thought she was terrible. Um like so, so for example, the thing, the scene that I thought she was terrible in was the scene where, um, where she, where at, where it's the morning after she spends the night at his house, and she's like getting changed and like is trying to insert herself into his life because she's like, well, you don't need me, but I need you, or she's like, we need each other, and then he goes to explain to her why he doesn't need her. He's like, okay, well, you don't need me, but I need you, and so like, where are we going? And it's just. I thought she was so unconvincing in that scene. So like, I don't know, balance, you know, that it could have been that been the first film that they shot, uh, first scene that they shot. So they don't quite have the chemistry, you know, maybe who knows? Um, I mean, somebody knows out there, but um, I don't know. It, it just, it just felt kind of hit or miss for me, you know, 
I actually really like that scene. That's a scene where I thought they had like a lot of chemistry. I think they have chemistry. I just don't know that she's particularly good in the movie. It, it, again, it, that scene kind of being the, the example for me. Yeah, they definitely for me, have I took, it, I took it as like it was really kind of related to the style of film that they were going for. It's very mm. pulpy. It's 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 like when you watch Sin City, like you have to watch it with a certain lens. Yeah. Because otherwise the delivery, you're like, why is there so much like overacting, over delivery on this thing? Um that's the way I took it, but like I get what you're saying. If you th- if you look at it through like a practical film lens, you're like, why are they so like overpunching no, these a... lines? Like, why are they? <laughs> no, I think that's a good. I think that's a good reminder actually, because um, the film is not trying to be a 1994 film made in the 30s or set in the 30s. It's trying to feel like a 30s movie. It's aiming for that big time. Yeah. So, like, why should I hold the acting to a different degree? Um, you know, because even thinking of, like, the very next scene, and the, this is the hotel reappearing scene, like, the way that Alec Baldwin is acting in that scene, like, is kind of that over-the-top, uh, you know, Humphrey Bogart style, like. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, like, standing in the middle of the street asking strangers, you know, pointing at an empty lot and saying, what's the name of that building? Like, <laughs> yeah, What's the name of that building? And like he has like this crazed look on his face. Uh huh. <laughs> so I, I I guess that's a good point. You know. All right. So I'll rescind my comment. That's fair. Um, they definitely had chemistry. That was that was uh, that was apparent to me as well. So um, yeah. Uh, the uh, the movie's a tad long. I kind of I kind of hit on that early. It's it's a tad long. Um, it's um yo it's fine. It maybe I'm I'm not sure if it's trying to tell too much or not enough story. It feels like there's a lot of like little winks or nods or a lot of like, you know, let's uh let's try to hint at something from the original run or let's try to like I don't know, set up storylines and then revolve resolve them really quickly. Um I don't know. I, I'm not you when you have all these characters and really not many of them are minor roles, like I mean even Tim Curry has a decent amount of screen time, especially towards the end. Like I, I I'm not sure if they were trying to do too much or too little. Like to one of the two. <laughs> You know, right? I think the thing that like I've seen this pointed out in like other other videos and other things I've watched when I've uh, referred to this film. But I have to agree, like there's nothing that tells me that uh, Farley Claymore, Tim Curry's character, is like a scientist. They don't really show you <laughs> that he's like a scientist. He's well, kind he's of, wearing like, a, a tuxedo, so he has to be a scientist. <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, I don't think he's even ever wearing a lab coat or like doing anything like. It's it's literally Ian McKellen's character, like Reinhardt, who's like doing a lot of the tinkering and like he's like losing track of time, like barely listening to people because he's so involved in his work. But like I never get that from Tim Curry's character. Mm-hmm. But I guess that just wasn't that important to them. But I found that kind of odd. Like, but yeah, it's like you um, guys had all this runtime, but like they utilize it oddly. Like you said, like the beginning's confusing. Like, is he immortal? Has he been living for a long time? They don't really like go into his backstory enough for you to get a grasp of that. Like you have to they, really pay attention. They try to pepper it in in small details, but like that's assuming I'm paying attention to this whole movie, and I just wasn't. Because um, because again, it could have been trimmed up a little bit. It could have been a little crisper, and it would have been more watchable in that way. Or it could have been more entertaining, you know. And I'm not saying action sequences are the way to solve that. I'm saying have interesting, compelling dialogue. You know, have uh, this movie has this movie has it is pretty subpar for for most of the part. Like I'm I'm not trying to say that the movie doesn't have you know, great dialogue or whatever. Like it's, it's fine. Right. It's, it, it's totally okay. It's, it's just not, uh, I think it's a collection of good ideas and scenes, but not all of it works. That's a great way to put it. 
Um, that's a great way to put it. Like a prime example is, and no matter no matter when they filmed this, no matter how they filmed this, the scene was never gonna look good of Alec Baldwin literally fighting a knife by himself. Because like, because <laughs> it's him laughing, like laying that. on the ground, and you can tell he's kind of like shivering his fists. <laughs> You know, a slight bit away from his face. Like, you know he's in total control that whole time. Like, it, that scene was never going to look good. Whether it was made in the 30s, if it was made in the 90s, even if it's made today, unless it's in a different context. So, right. you know, so so some of the stuff, you're right, a lot of great ideas. Maybe some of the some of the execution maybe got lost along the way or lim- limited to the to the resources of their time or... Um, limited to, to what studios thought of of comic book films at the time, uh, maybe even limited to the um, you know studios' desire to churn out films much faster, regardless of quality. Um, you know, especially with comic book stuff, they're like, it's gonna make money or it's not, so just put it out there. So and and Tim Burton's Batman is hot, so make that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and around this time, there's a lot of people who are trying to capitalize on characters that were similar to Batman or like were pulled characters, like. Um, the phantom you know the rocketeer like around this time people were trying to bank on like what what's like the next hot thing you know mm-hmm. and also like banking on the fact like oh we could get this character for a relatively cheap or like we could probably get a greenlit a lot faster because they're not like a super like major hero or whatnot like it's not like sure. a superman or a batman uh, sure so they're trying to capitalize on that as well yeah um i'll tell you what didn't work for me in this movie and it's the the mystical element of it like the Shadow is a, a great crime fighter and vigilante by himself and, the, and, and using his, his tactics. Again, very much Batman-esque. Uh, but it's, it's the element that of where he's able to transmit his thoughts to other people's mind that it's like, that should be its own separate thing. You know, it should be one or the other. Not, it, they didn't, I, I, don't, I don't know that the balance worked well. And I don't know that that's a film problem. It's a character problem problem to me like it's a i don't know kind of like how you're like oh superman has laser vision and super strength and his skin is super tough and he has ice breath and like it's just one of those that it's just like it's almost too much and too varied and too different um you know make make his powers very mystic or very not you know did you feel that way or did you buy into it i mean it definitely helps set it apart from batman a little bit in my mind but i feel like you know weeding out that element of that and not to say batman doesn't have mystical elements too um, especially in terms of the villain side but it just didn't work for me in the movie it it felt silly every time it happened i i liked when i like the way they they did it when they used it like practically like when he was like the shadow kind of like dim on his face sometimes his eyes would change and he would like kind of use i mean for no for not for lack of a better word like the jedi mind trick on people yeah, yeah, yeah. Like on his uncle and stuff like that. Um, the the effects he used on the on the bridge were a little were a little hokey. They're a little little dated as far as like yeah. him becoming transparent, and shadowy. And it, mm-hmm. when you watch the movie the first time, you don't realize that he's not really invisible. It's just like him putting his thoughts into people's minds as right. if he's, he's not there. Um, but uh, when I watched it a second time, I actually bought into it a lot more than the first time I watched it. So on sequential well, watches, I felt I I kind of like the fact that he had these like mental abilities that he was using. But I get how I could be like too varied. Like the rules are hard to keep track of, right? Like yeah. what what is he actually like capable of? Like what makes somebody a stronger practitioner? Like 
Because Khan's a stronger practitioner than he is. Like, but why? <laughs> yeah, You're right. You're but, right. Like, the, why the, is the, you defining the defining powers and power strength is a big problem here? Um, Simply because he's evil, he's just stronger. Like, it, it doesn't it doesn't really hold up as well. Right. Well, and you know, it, just trying to cram in a lot into a it's this is trying to be you know a, a third movie in a franchise or something like that. You know, it's 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 not. I don't know. It's just. Maybe they were trying to, oh, people can follow along. People are smarter than that. And I mean, sure, people can be smart. People aren't stupid. Some people are stupid, but um, <laughs> pe- people aren't inherently stupid. And, and you know, the, um, you know, if, if you explain enough via, you know, sometimes exposition or sometimes just like the smaller stuff, even passing conversations or whatever, like, you can explain and carry your your audience into a place, um, but it just it just didn't feel like this movie was interested in that. It almost felt like they were like, "Hey, let's take Batman and just drop him into." And, and it works for Batman now. You know, they can do that because we're familiar enough with Batman. But it's almost like let's take this character character we know no we know nothing about, drop him in like you know a pretty seasoned area of his career. You know, like uh, I don't know. I guess it would be. I'm trying to think of a character that. Like is pretty under the radar, um, and I guess like maybe a good example would be like when they did that Jonah Hex movie back in like two thousand and right whatever. He's pretty niche, you know what I mean, by like right a lot of people's standards. Like if you were just to drop a you know a Jonah Hex that's like really like experienced, people would be like, wait, what? Like can't really do that, you know, unless it, unless you do the work to build in the backstory to your script. It is true, and it's like it's a lot to take in, especially since like this is really faithful to both like the radio series, especially the radio series, and to the to the magazines and comic books that this character has been in. It's very faithful to that entire concept, which is is uh, is noteworthy, and like it's great they did that. But like like you said, like this feels like the second or third movie in a series. Like let's let's set this up a little bit. Um, I think that was one of my main complaints is like they should have like set up his origin uh, a lot more and a lot stronger then a lot of these things probably would have been less concerning as far as like way his abilities work. Um, you know, how did he come to become in New York? Like there, there's, there's like long, like long slabs of this movie that are just missing or of his mythology that are just missing. And you just have to, the person just needs to fill in the blanks. Right. Like you have to be smart enough to fill in the blanks and like, I shouldn't have to write your movie for you or like right. do more homework. Um, right, right, right. Yeah, and it's something completely unfamiliar with the property. It's like I shouldn't have to know your property. That's my that's my biggest problem with Donnie Darko is like in order to understand Donnie Darko, you have to like go to a bunch of the resources that the filmmakers put out. It's like I should be able to understand everything I need to know in your contained runtime. Like it's a problem if that's not the case, um, or at least if it's a second or third movie in a franchise. Like I need I need to be able to understand everything I need to know in your property. You know. Um, and so in your, so it, I, I guess, yeah, to that point, like this movie does not do a great job of that. Um, I had a good time. Most of the movie, like it wasn't necessarily like I wasn't falling asleep or anything. Um, there was definitely sequences that like stood out that I was like, oh, that's like really entertaining, you know, and you could kind of see, we, we made a lot of comparisons to Batman, but there's even a lot of, uh, a co- comparisons to just like other films you can make. I mean, this is really trying to be the shadow, but I guess maybe it's more of a influence on like the way that other, um, the way that other films have copied this character. 
there was there was definitely moments where I got like the the intro scene of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom vibes, like where in the where they're in that like concert bakery. Like there was a couple scenes where I kind of like it felt kind of similar to that. Oh, especially uh, when they're like when they're in the Cobalt Club, I was like, yeah. it feels exactly like that, and like it took me back to like my childhood. So I yeah. used to watch a lot of Temple of Doom. So so like it, it's got to be just a. It, it, the shadows influence on Temple of Doom, right? So, like, and that's not nothing. So, like, we made a lot of comparisons to Batman, but I feel like there's a good amount in here that's like, a, oh, that feels like a wink and a nod to that, or that feels like a, you know, maybe for the mystic element of it, you know, maybe that's how you know they started thinking of Doctor Strange was based off of the side of the shadow that they didn't you know rip off for of the Batman, right? <laughs> so, so, like, there's there's a lot of you know there's a lot of like feels like homages in here that maybe aren't intentional who knows um so kind of maybe maybe going along line and here's maybe my last note of the of the movie is that i think there's a really good movie in here um and this movie is like at the end of the day like if you're mildly interested in watching a movie that you know is is kind of deliberately meant to be in the 30s and a superhero movie that's maybe a little clunky like if you've listened this far and you're like i'm interested in checking that out Go for it. Like I'm not warning you against it. I'm I'm not necessarily an advocate saying you should check it out. I'm not necessarily recommending it, but I'm certainly not warning it. Um, but I think this could make a really good like source for a parody at this point. Like, and and let's let's also be clear. My expectations going into this movie, ha- I didn't see a trailer. I knew nothing about this. I was just like, I know the title. I f- let's go in that way. I was kind of expecting, based off what we were talking about, to be more like a spy versus f- spy kind of thing. You know, that kind of vibe and that kind of feel and that kind of, like, art style and direction and, and all that. But, you know, to also be very firmly rooted in 1994. And, like, that's not what we got at all. So I wonder, like, maybe the way that they could make this property, like, a like viable again. Like, I think this is perfect source for a parody. Like, you can make it be a parody of, of you know, lots of different things. Um, I, I really think of, like, Give this give this movie the style and t- well, maybe not style, but the tone of something like Austin Powers, and I think that could be a really fun time. You know, I think you could play this completely serious, and it would totally work. Especially now, like it would completely work. You could definitely make you could definitely make you would have to have a complete you would have to have a, a better script if you want oh, to do yes, that. For sure. But like this, fe- this feels like it could be really prime. You know, especially with you, when you have the mind, impl- uh, you know, planting stuff like this feels like it could be like get some SNL writers to make something, and that could be a good time. You know, that's that was my thought throughout this movie. Is like I don't know, maybe maybe it's just because some scenes feel like a parody, and they're not supposed to. <laughs> so so my thought was just like, why not? The building reappearing is a great example. It feels like a parody because he's like. How did he make the whole building disappear? How did he make everybody forget it? You know, grabs a random person on the sidewalk is, or or like the scene where he makes the guy jump off the the bad guy makes the 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 person that makes fun of him jump off the Empire State Building. Like that was a parody moment to me. That wasn't anything serious. Like what if the I, whole movie had that tone? I found that I was actually going to bring that up. I found that kind of horrifying that he did that to him. But the way it's kind of a brilliant transition, but also comes off a little comical when they do the transition yeah. with like with the sailor jumping off the. Off the uh, off the building, I was and like, transitions I to Lamont. Be at this. <laughs> yeah, it's good. it shoots back to Lamont and Margot, and I'm like, that's kind of funny, but also just a great transition. Yeah, and like I'm they're like, just talking about the guy, and like he literally made somebody jump off of, like off a building. Like, 
And, and so that's the kind of stuff I expect. You, I'm thinking like, I mean, Alec Baldwin would be great at too, but like, give this movie like a Princess Bride kind of tone, and I'm much more interested. You know, get you know, and and maybe it's because like maybe it's because I see so much of Carrie Elway's in, or I see so much of yeah Carrie Elway's in Alec Baldwin in this in this phase of his career that it's like it just kind of feels hand in hand. So. Um, look, some of that could just be my expectations and all that, but I just like I feel like this would be really good, especially because you have the mystical element. You in a parody movie that you know Alec the 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 shadow fighting the knife scene works great, you know, because the because the knife is supposed to have a mind of its own. It's like if you set this movie just reality adjacent into this, you know, like like take MacGruber, like if you get the writers for MacGruber to work on something like this, like that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> That that was my whole thought throughout. So again, maybe it could just be expectations, but that was my thought. I, I don't want to go full, you know, all of those like scary movie spinoffs, like disaster movie and epic movie. Like I don't definitely don't want to go full blown parody, but like give it kind of like an Austin Powers vibe and or a group of vibe. Like there'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think so. I think my take on it would be like by people today's people standards would be pretty boring or run in the middle. But like let's take out some of the more ridiculous aspects. Let's take out the yeah. dagger. Or at mm-hmm. least tr- try to make it kind of more steeped in reality. Uh, kind of give it the Nolan treatment. Like, I, th- I feel like it's a character that either, like you said, it could be something completely silly, or you could take it to the complete serious, you know, upteen kind of like treatment. Um, where this is kind of, it kind of falls in the middle, where it, uh, it's a little too faithful to its source material, where some of the ideas are a little more, a little ridiculous, especially for the time. They just don't have the visual visuals to kind of do this. Like, the dagger looks ridiculous. Uh, even though they use it sparingly, it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, him fighting with the dagger, um, but yeah, I would probably more want to see it more taken in more of the Nolan direction, like trying to like let's kind of steep in reality. Let's play it. Let's play some of these like uh, do something really interesting with the visuals and him like diving into people's minds and like taking over their minds. Uh, but yeah, I think either way it could work. Like you said, if you went a more silly route or if you went this kind of more uh, realistic route with it. Um, but I like the fact that they're making they're aiming for like a 1930s movie and they weren't trying to make like a nineties movie. Um, I found that really refreshing. They, I think they did it the best way possible without being the Dick Tracy kind of ridiculousness where it's a little too comic booky, like too literal. Um, yeah. yeah um, overall, I, I like the movie. Like you said, um, I completely agree. It could have been a really great movie. There's a really great movie in there somewhere. Yeah. There yeah. need to be a, you know, a punch up of the script. Um, and, and maybe like, Either either a punch up in the script or like shortening some of this stuff and like putting in some integral parts that we that we talked about that were missing. I was just looking at Wikipedia because I feel like this is a film or this is a property that feels like there's some filmmaker out there that really wants to make this. You know, there's got to be like an Edgar Wright out there that's just like you know I've always loved this character. You know, and nobody knows him, nobody talks about him. But Sam Raimi wanted to do it. That's why he made Darkman. <laughs> well, that's what that's what I was just looking. So, yeah. a, apparently, like af, at the end of his Spider-Man run, he was working on a Shadow. So, two thousand six, um, he he said he he was working wanted to co he wanted to co-produce one and you know potentially go on to direct and and be a part of the writing process and and then uh, and then he didn't have an update and then uh, um, they couldn't produce a script as of twenty twelve. But it's like. I think Sam Raimi could return to that, and ma- I would He's, love to see a Sam Raimi version of this. I would too. He'd be prime for it. Like he already, he already kind of made the movie. 
I mean, Dark Man is literally. <laughs> I haven't seen Dark Man, so I don't strongly know. <laughs> based off of the Shadow. Like that's why he like had this other hero that he had. Well, and uh, this is devised. so. To be clear, we're talking about the 1994 version of the film on the show. Um, but this is, uh, there was apparently The Shadow Strikes in 1937, um, International Crime in 1938, The Shadow in 1940, The Shadow Returns, Behind the Mask of the Missing Lady in 1946, and The Invisible Avenger in 1958. So, like, this film is, this character has been used several times. So there's also um, two TV shows that were produced. One of them went somewhere, and one of them was never aired. Uh, and the one that went somewhere was, I think, only had one season. Um, it was very, be- barely any information about it, so maybe not. Uh, and there's a there was a video game uh, to tie into. Uh, well, there's supposed to be a video game tie into this. Yeah, they but, were they were nearly done with the video game, and then it got shelved. Like it got canceled. Like they were like ready to ship the game, but like since the film did so poorly at the box office, they shelved it. But it looked really awesome. It was like a really awesome looking side scroller, like beat 'em up. Yeah, it was supposed to come out for the SNES, but after the low box office grows, they never released it. But it's completed, and a ROM version of the game had been linked online. So Check it out. (laughs) I I guess if you want to, you can play it. (laughs) It looked really great. It kind of looked like the Punisher um, side-scroller, or or kind of like the Batman Returns side-scroller. It looks very reminiscent of that. Um, That'd be fun. Yeah, it looks good. Um, Yeah. And honestly, video video game sales might have helped. Yeah, so, it was kind of weird. They just kind of shelved. It was like that might have actually like I don't know. They didn't right, think of the long term effects. Like they could have like got them VHS sales. Could have like any number of things for sure. And like especially like that SNES era like really helped like cross promote because people played th- those video games that had no clue about the project that they were playing. Like yeah, that could have that could have really helped to be doing it anyway. But yeah, like I'm I'm wondering as of now, at least according to Wikipedia, like there's no no pre-production or somebody saying i want to start working on this but you know there's a filmmaker out there you know just like a sam Raimi at one point thought you know i was wondering like if there was like a you know some big comic book nerd that's just like you know i've just i really want to make a shadow movie like i would watch it like this there's a lot of good ideas in there there's a lot of good concepts it just now that we know what to do with comic book movies now that we know what works and what doesn't like now's the time that you can try this again you know and I don't. I don't think this character has translated to like. I don't think there's people. There's young people that are like really familiar or really know this or anything. You know, like I don't. I don't know how many people are familiar with this IP. So like, right. you know, it can feel fresh even though it's not. So uh, yeah. I mean, there's if there's been three Spider-Man you know eras since since before the the last movie came out or since after the last movie came out like we can have another shadow that's fine there's the three three spider-man one two three if you count tv four five like like six or seven batman like right <laughs> yeah. mm, again three or four or five superman if we're counting tv you know so um yeah like i think i said earlier like i'm not saying don't check this out i'm just i'm not saying you need to rush to see this if you haven't seen it um Certainly, if you have Cinemax, why not? You know, um, you know, or if this eventually hits Netflix or whatever, like you, you could, you could spend a worse hour forty eight minutes, but you could also spend a lot better hour and forty eight minutes. So that's kind of my thought. Like, we, we, where are you landing on, like, you know, telling people to check this out or not? Yeah, I mean, if you could find it somewhere streaming, or if you already have Cinemax, I mean, the rental wasn't much. I think it was like four bucks. Yeah, like four um, for me. It was totally worth it for me. I watched it twice. I enjoyed it. Um, I might end up picking up the Blu-ray. Um, like I said, it, it's not a perfect movie by any means, but there's a lot of great ideas in it. 
Um, but yeah, I, I recommend it at least a watch, especially if you're a fan of Batman or just superheroes in general. Like you might as well like just, you know give it a gander. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point too. If you're if you're a really big Batman fan, you can. It's it's really fun, especially if you're a fan of like more than just the movies. Like if you've played played some of the video games or watched some of the animated series, especially any of the stuff with the League of Shadows. Like right, yeah, this is a really fun uh, fun thing to check out. So uh, yeah, uh, I'm all out of thoughts. Did you have any more? Yeah, I was going a little bit to um, to uh, John Lone a little bit. Like he's probably one of the better aspects of the film. Um, it definitely like is a great antagonist. Uh, especially for this era type of film, like you said, he's really chewing up scenery. He's very, he's very villainous. Um, you could tell that this character was written as the archetype for being a supervillain, um, just the way he's uh, personified. I'm just kind of sad that John Lone didn't really have that many roles. Um, I thought he's actually a really terrific actor. Um, he's most notably was in The Last Emperor. Uh, he was in Rush Hour Two. Uh, me personally, the the film that I saw him in um, initially, and I couldn't put my finger on it until I looked him up on IMDb, was a uh, the Hunted with Christopher uh, Lambert. Uh, he plays the ninja Kinjo. Um, he's really good in that film as well. So yeah, a uh, great actor. I don't know why his career wasn't like longer standing, why he just kind of like sparingly showed up in these roles. Maybe just life happened. He had certain other obligations. I mean, you wonder, but you also just wonder about like, if this is the nineties, this is the, uh, this is the like, well, 1994, like this is the, the definitely the Jackie Chan era. Um, yeah. Like I just, Hollywood didn't have quite as many openings for international stars in their movies. Right. So. D- diversity was pretty scarce. And like he's, he is playing a very, um, even of that time, a very stereotypical uh, character. Like it's very, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if the character is as racially sensitive, you know what I mean? Uh, as yeah. it can be. He's literally descended of, of Genghis Khan. It's almost like Fu Manchu. You can tell the people writing this. Yeah. You can tell the people writing this didn't have the best idea at how to write international characters so it works uh, within the confines of the story and the period they're telling it in but like definitely like yeah and you know i'm willing to forgive a lot for the past we've we've learned from our mistakes right you know but but yeah it's yeah my, my, i mean my guess is just that was kind of the jackie chan era so right you know, and you have you know gently a lot of these other international stars oh um, yeah gently would have been coming up at the time you know he was in rush hour 2 with jackie chan i do remember him in uh rush hour rush 2 hour movies yeah he's the villain i don't I don't remember Jet Li until uh, Lethal Weapon Four. I want to say it's the first time I saw him, but then I went back through his entire catalog and like definitely did my research and watched a bunch of his films. Yeah, I'm sure I've seen some stuff that he's in, but I don't know. But yeah, that was my first probably exposure. still my favorite Jet Li movie. It's really great. Which one? Fist of Legend. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I have seen any that I really like him in, but uh, I I'm, I don't know how many I've seen of his. Four, maybe. Uh, oh, hero! Hero's my favorite of him. There we go. Um, here's a lot Great of. Here's a very pretty movie. Oh, this is a visually uh, dazzling movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm all I'm all thoughts, but if uh, if you have more, I mean, feel free to say them before we move on. You know, I, I mean, uh, and, and lastly, like the scores. I thought the score is pretty amazing. Jerry Goldsmith does a score. Oh yeah, I was gonna bring that up. I just the, especially forgot. the theme. The theme is like it's like haunting and ominous, but like it's cool. Like it's very like. <laughs> it is again pretty reminiscent of the 89 batman score yeah and pretty reminiscent <laughs> of that danny elfman era but yeah it's it's really good <laughs> yeah like i just like that theme i don't know why like it, it's almost kind of like a horror film but it really works for the shadow because the shadow is he's uh especially in the uh in the source material like 
he's an ambiguously kind of gray character. Like he kills people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he, he kind sure. of does in this too, in the film, like they just, it's not as explicit or like since, right. since it is a PG 13 movie, but it's still pretty violent for a PG 13 movie. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, especially again, there is a scene where relatively comically somebody makes somebody else jump yeah. off the Empire State <laughs> Building. Like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> plus in general a film that deals with psychological manipulation you know it's not not less than light either so yeah I'd, I'd agree with that it's a relatively um you know it's not like when you watch some of those pg-13 movies and you're like how did this not get an r but yeah it's just a it's a right. stern pg-13 uh, but yeah so uh but yeah I, thanks for bringing up the score i really wanted it uh to get a chance to do that and and, and again out, some, the actors are typically pretty good and it's pretty well directed so like there's just good things that good things that work here. Um, the heart was in the right place. They were trying. Absolutely, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, okay, so on a on a relatively tangent tangential topic, uh, we'll move on to the B pot here. So um, I thought it would be fun to, for us to explore. Man, if there is a whiteboard, kind of talking about what is the DCEU, it's got to look like insane just with like tons of different things that don't connect whatsoever and tons of things that are like uh, you can feel that the, the, they're kind of stretched or whatever like if somebody's got a whiteboard and they're trying to plan it all out like you would have to sit there and look at it for a couple minutes to kind of figure out what's actually going on and like i just want to know like is there a way that warner brothers could i i, I said us i said save the dceu in this phraseology is there a way that that warner brothers could build the dceu to have I'm, I don't. I'm not. I'm not saying have them be Marvel, but have Marvel success um, with in terms of they're doing fine in box office, but push that box office and definitely push those you know critic and audience scores up. Is there is there something that they can do without just blowing it up and rebooting all of it? I think I think the course they're taking now is like the correct approach, and I hope they continue to do so. Where they allow people like James Gunn to kind of like. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I guess I'll say our tour director, like they, they definitely have their own stamp when they, when they make a film, kind of let them run with it. Like, even though the suicide squad didn't like kill at the box office, like it was still like critically successful. And that's to me just as important as it lighting up the box office. Um, people really love those characters. I just don't probably the pandemic and probably the, the fact that the first suicide squad movie was kind of uh, critically tanked. And didn't have a lot of goodwill. I don't think it helped the Suicide Squad. No, and and it was the day and day for HBO Max release. And right, I, I think according to HBO, they said the numbers weren't great for it. But it's like, but Peacemaker came out and is is the most watched HBO Max show of all times. Like, right, and I, I think like over time, people have like there's a growing goodwill with. I don't want to say with James Gunn because that people love James Gunn, but like just overall that property, people are like I like that property. I like those characters. I'd like to see more of that. So I think that translated really well with Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like you said, like I don't know a person that hasn't watched Peacemaker and Peacemaker is really excellent. Um, it does tie it's, in. It's on, it's on my watch list. I just okay. haven't gotten around to um, it. I won't, won't spoil anything, but like. I already got spoiled of the two cameos in the finale. Okay. Cause it, I'm on Twitter, but. <laughs> it still has tie-ins to the pre-existing universe that, that really work. Um, there's a lot of like in jokes. There's a lot of stuff that's like cemented within what they're doing. So I think keeping James Gunn on board is definitely like a solid thing to do. And just allow more directors with to have a, a certain vision that's not run by committee and let them just kind of make films. Don't worry about the overall arching kind of universe implications. Don't try to play don't, don't try to fast follow Marvel. 
uh, that didn't work out for you, just make good films. Like all the ones that they've tried to just make good films, they they've been successful at it. Like the Joker, good film. It's not tied to any major universe at this point in time, and, and it works. The Batman's doing well at the box office and pretty critically um, successful. Um, for the most part it's in the high 80s as far as like a lot of people's reviews um so just i would say just keep it keep keep that quality bar high and like don't worry about tying things into a universe so strangely and don't backpedal into things that are just not working for you like i I think don't want to see the snyderverse unless you guys are really gonna fully commit to it like i don't want this like toe in toe out i think that's exactly the way that i would go about this too look your options are you 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 backpedal and you re- and you restore the Snyderverse. Um, I, I don't know that Snyder is interested in coming back at this point. No, I, I but but at least you take the vision that he built and you run with it. Um, so I, and I have no idea. Or you completely scrap the idea of a cinematic universe. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, and that's more so the route I would I would prefer. And look, I, I'm not a, I'm not a Zack Snyder's Justice League supporter. We talked about it on the podcast. I, I'm not a think this movie is incredible. But kind of to your point, like if they would have just came out with that movie in the first place, we it it would we would be in a better state of DC films. And look, it, not Justice Justice League, Josh, Josh Whedon's Justice League is is not the only stinker in here. I I mean, I think Aquaman's an objectively terrible movie <laughs> with stunning visuals and really compelling performances by people that are really into their characters. But like you know, it's 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 two things for me. It's Drop the idea of trying to have a cinematic universe and just tell stories and gain credibility back. Don't don't have it to the point that like I see that there are four DC films coming out this year and I dread it. And I've seen one of them. I've seen the Batman before recording this, um, and I like it, right? But but like I'm still dreading like Aquaman two comes out this year and it's just like oh. and like Black Adam's kind of up in the air whether I think it's going to be good or not. I'm, Flash is certainly up in the air with all the script changes and director changes and all that. And, you know, it feels like they're you know, trying to pull in Batman to save the project. And it's like, just just tell a Flash story. Why can't we have a Flash story? And, right. uh, you know, a, and a Flash story that isn't necessarily Flashpoint Paradox. So that it would be an awesome opportunity, I think, for Flashpoint Paradox to just blow up the cinematic universe as opposed to reboot it like people are thinking it's going to do. Just blow it up. No more timelines. Just Aquaman's doing his thing. Maybe every now and then he shows up and helps somebody else. Or maybe every now and then there's a need for a Justice League movie or whatever. But like, just have Aquaman do his thing. Just have, you know, Batman do his thing, whatever. You don't have to tell stories in a linear or even the same timeline. You know, so like Joker and the Batman are in completely different timelines and completely different from the rest of the DCEU. And you get your something like the Suicide Squad. That even though it takes place in the present and alludes to some of the events that are in the DCU timeline, there's nothing connecting it to any other movie. Like and 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 tying it all back, like pick directors just like you said, pick directors that have a vision and let them fulfill it. Let them uh, let them really run with it. Don't especially if there's one thing that DC could learn from Marvel is don't take directors and stick them to a formula. Tell them here's a creative sandbox. Now go play and. I, look, I believe that David Ayer has his version of Suicide Squad that isn't the theatrical cut. I'm just not convinced it's a good movie. Like, yeah, at this point, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I trust. <laughs> right, like his vision either. I, I'm sure it's a better movie than what we got, but I'm not convinced it's a good movie. Yeah. And you know, but but obviously, you know, kind of same thing along with 
kind of what I thought about Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'm sure it exists. I'm just not sure it's good. And I was right. But, um, you know, but just, but when you hire people that are genuinely creative, passionate filmmakers and hire geeks, you know, you, not everybody has to be James Gunn. Not everybody has to be their style or whatever. Just hire somebody that's going to love the material and let them love the material. And you should see results from that. Like Nolan loved Batman. And that's like the most profitable trilogy of all time. Well, not trilogy. Most profitable comic book trilogy of all time. And, and critically acclaimed for sure. Because Nolan loved Batman. He always wanted to make a Batman trilogy. Well, make us a Batman trilogy then. We got no other plans for him right now. And it freaking worked, man. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. There's, there's no reason why we only have one Superman movie in, in the last 15 years. <laughs> Yeah, like, there's no crazy. reason for that, especially when you have a Superman in the role, you know, who is gr- like really good in the role. So um, I'm surprised that we're like both kind of right there, you know, like bo- you don't have movies. to, I, you don't don't, have to don't copy <laughs> Marvel, right? You don't have to copy Marvel. You don't have to go- copy the idea of big hero team ups in cinematic universe, all that blow it up or just so like, have you. Have your Robert Pattinson timeline. Have your Joaquin Phoenix Joker timeline. Give Henry Cavill a Man of Steel (laughs) 2. Like, yeah, you know. I feel like you could still, like, you could have a main continuity still. Yeah. And you're not tied down to anything. You have the Flash. You have have a multiverse built into the DC. You guys Mm -hmm. want to do that. But, like, don't force, like, a square peg in a circle. Like, just just make good movies. And people will show up. Right. I mean, that's a perfect, that, I mean, that was perfect too, because like it got off to a kind of rocky start. People have come around to Man of Steel, but initially people were like, eh. you know, and then we got um, Batman versus Superman that lost a lot of people's goodwill. We got the Suicide Squad also lost a lot of people's goodwill, but then like Wonder Woman came around and everybody was back on board. And then it seemed yeah. like a, slowly but surely people kept on dropping off. And then, you know, like Shazam came out and people were like, oh, all right. That's why we like these, you know, you know right. Birds of Prey, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just make good movies and people care. Like, yeah, I wish Birds of Prey did better at the box office. I thought, I mean, it was critically pretty successful, and like, I think people are yeah grown fond of it. Um, yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed that movie too. And like mm-hmm. I said, it, it it like loosely tied into the universe, but it wasn't like bound by that. You know what I mean? They made the movie they wanted to make. Right. Yeah, and I, there's people out there that are saying that the the fi- the that there's a that that's not the final cut that the director wanted to release or whatever and like look no movie is ever going to be completely what the director wants it to be right <laughs> i think i think they're blowing that one out of proportion i think that's an extra scene or two um from what i see i could be wrong about that but uh but yeah you're right make good movies they'll show up make make your little make your little pockets of stories that can be connected but don't have to be in any reason don't worry about what's canon what's not just tell good stories and guess what they're making Joker too. Like it might be confusing to people, but they're gonna know what's going on. People that are gonna care what's what's going on are gonna know what's going on. And make your the Batman two or whatever. And yeah. like people are gonna know. And especially when you have these multiple actors playing different different roles and different characters. And for the love of God, give me Batman with a foe besides Joker. And I know we literally just got you know Batman with the Riddler, but. Give me an iteration of Batman that doesn't have to deal with the Joker for a hot second. Like, for the love of God, I said it last week. Give me Hugo Strange. Yeah, get, uh, yeah, give him a break. He's has a huge rogues gallery. Like, there's plenty to pull from, guys. Right. 
Like, explore that. Give me a Hugo Strange. Give me a Calendar Man. Yeah, exactly. Give me a, a Calendar Man story. Killer Croc. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you know. Um, yeah, let's throw a Clock King. Let's just do. Let's let's go crazy. Why not? <laughs> why not? Please, for the love of God, give me Court of Owls. You know, yeah, Court of Owls would be a great story. Like, I think I saw something that apparently, if they're going to do with the Batman too, and at this point, there's no way they're not going to. Um, that I think that Court of Owls is going to be the what Matt Reeves wants to do next. I don't know if that's people speculating or whatnot, but like, please give me Matt Reeves Court of Owls. And like, please let that, if he's planning on making a trilogy, please let it be Hugo Strange. Like that would be a perfect trilogy of villains, you know, of, of at least planning. Right. Um, just, yeah. Don't focus on Superman needs Lex Luthor. No, he doesn't. Um, it's, don't, yeah. At this point, it's like, it's just not interesting guys. I think that's why don't, I don't like, Superman don't returns. play the hits right yeah. try new things you know anyway i mean R- riddler was a little bit more out there than you know a, 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 a little bit more of a second tier but like there's plenty of like third tier in terms of popularity that are that would make really solid batman freaking mad hatter like mad matt reeves would make a great batman versus mad hatter like <laughs> anyway um anyway I'm, I'm just i'm happy we agreed and like i've I'm not saying don't restore the Snyderverse, right? You can do that if you want and stick with it. But even if you restore the Snyderverse, that doesn't mean that everything has to connect into whatever Zack Snyder wants, right? Yeah. You can have your Justice League to with your with your people and maybe even Shazam shows up for a little bit or whatever. Like and then you can also have your you know, the Batman too and you can have your um you know, Man of Steel 2 that doesn't connect into any sort of extended universe. Like, you can do that. It's okay. Um, yeah, you could use the same verse and just let James Gunn do everything. <laughs> I mean, they could. Cut him a check. I, I, <laughs> he could do it. Well, and so, I'm, I mean, he's a little bit busy right now, and I'm not sure that he wants that at this point. Like, I think before Disney fired him, I think the plan was that he was supposed to take over the cosmic side. From what I've heard is that Feige was going to, like more so oversee two people, one to take over Earth and one to take over space, and Gun was going to be space, or maybe Feige himself was going to oversee Earth. Um, but yeah, like, because I'm not sure what Gun- his Marvel plans are post uh, uh, Guardians. Guardians, 3. Guardians three. There's a Guardians holiday special, and uh, like, I wonder if he's pl- is he planning to continue with Guardians but use a different team? I mean, there's various teams that the, that he said the only himself. things he said is that this will be the last iteration of. That team, right? This team. So he's not said whether he's going to make more or not, but and, and he's left the and he's at least said like the door could be open that this isn't necessarily going to be the last Guardians movie. It'll be the last of this iteration. Um, and and my guess, I don't know. Like he's working on a Peacemaker season two as well. That got picked up. He, it's rumored that he's also working on or not rumored. I think it was confirmed he's also working on another HBO Max DC show. I think another Suicide Squad spinoff kind of show. He's going to be really busy because he's writing and directing all the episodes for season right. two. I, I don't for season two as well. Yes, he's he's okay. writing and directing all of them. Where he directed the first two episodes, I think, and he wrote all the episodes of, of season, season one? one. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I, I didn't know. Like, I, I imagine he would be writing them all. It kind of shocks right. me about all the directing too. But uh, like, he's a busy person, so he's probably not going to come take over. But yeah, find find somebody that's competent. You know, um, find somebody that. I don't know if there's somebody that currently exists within DC that you could do that. I mean, if Matt Reeves is willing to do it, freaking let Matt Reeves do it. I don't know yeah. that he wants to. But yeah, I don't know if he wants to, but... 
But like, I don't know that James Wan is the right choice, or definitely after Wonder Woman 1984, I don't think Patty Jenkins is like, you know, the people that have been the head of DC haven't necessarily. If you would have asked me before that film, I'd be like, I would have gave her the green light. But that that film was just, it's a mess. It's It's a whole different a whole different episode and like discussion yeah so yeah get get some sort of head but don't make that head mimic feige's plan yeah right and and play around with stuff like peacemaker shouldn't really have been as big of a success as it is but you know it is (laughs) so i think it's just about knowing the material and then like adapting it and just like not being afraid to not adhere to things that happen in the source material and don't be strict about things so take that as an opportunity to why can't we get a Raven TV show? That would be awesome. Or a Blue Beetle TV show. Like, Yeah, do a Booster and Blue Beetle show. Like, you could do, like... Yeah, why not? Yeah. And for the love of God, at some point, give me an Injustice movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Any other thoughts on, on that? No. I, th- I think it's funny that we both thought the same thing and, like, lined up on that perfectly. Because, like, I've had discussions with, with my friend. He's like, what are they doing to the DC universe, I was like, what they're doing now is like the best thing they they can possibly do. Just don't worry about it. And let's, you know, let's just make good movies. And like, that's all I care about. I want to see good things. I don't care that's connected to this wider universe. If I want that, I'll watch the MCU where they have this overarching pretty much plot and like story threads throughout the entirety of like, you know, it's inception. I don't need that from DC. I want them. I don't want them to fast follow. Just do your own thing. Well, and I feel like, I feel like, I feel like people could definitely label me as a Marvel fanboy, but it's like if if you take the whole properties, like I'm pretty split. Like I I love the characters from both universes. The MCU has made me love a lot of the characters from the Marvel universe, but like DC has some of the best characters, heroes and villains and people who are just, you know, like Commissioner Gordon and who's not well, he's a hero but he's not a superhero. Um you know, like they've the, I feel I feel like people could label me as a Marvel fanboy, but it's because I've been treated to really good to great to spectacular films made by Marvel for the last what twenty years? Not twenty years. Uh, I mean, there have been some good ones for the last twenty years, but like I'm specifically if we're going to mark two thousand eight with Iron Man, like they they built a lot of goodwill over these you know the decade they've, plus. They've earned all of it, right? And 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 it's in after the Dark Knight, like DC hasn't earned a lot of it. They're yeah. starting to. They're starting to again for sure. Unless you venture in, like into their, you know, the recent comic books, or if you venture, if you like dabbled or like are a big fan of the animated stuff that they do. The animated know? stuff DC's leaps and bounds better than the stuff that Marvel's been. Tons doing. better. Like they they've nailed it. I'm surprised Nearly Marvel can't time. figure it out. Like it's only That's a matter weird. of time. But, but like specifically, like the DC animated stuff they had going. Like I mean, we were talking about Justice League Doom earlier, and. Uh, um, like that's one of the best and under the red hood is one of the best. And it's like, they're, they're, they're just adapting like sometimes frame for frame from the comic books. Yeah. It's like you've got the, you've got great source material right here. Just use it. You know, uh, there we go. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> <laughs> so and I'm also glad that we were able to, to not just say blow it all up to not just say like, reboot everything recast everybody all that forget about the snyder timeline i'm glad that we were also able to be like no it's okay you don't have to do that you know so all right that leaves us with the spinoff then joe what is that one thing in any area of pop culture that you're wanting to tell people to check out or to avoid yeah i have a a few things give like a full brief descriptor uh of course first and foremost 
please watch Peacemaker. It is amazing. I think it's my favorite show that came come out this year so far. Um, nice, man. I'm excited to check it out. Yeah, really great stuff. Um, Super Crooks on Netflix. Um, it's based off the uh, the Miller World un- uh, Universe stuff. Um, I think okay. Jupiter Ascending was the not Jupiter Ascending. I'm sorry, the Jupiter's Jupiter Legacy was the Legacy, was yeah. the initial push for that. That's not too great, but Super Crooks is actually really amazing, especially if you're a fan of anime. Um, it's really great. And also a documentary. Um, it's a PBS documentary. It's on um, Amazon Prime, Superheroes, a never-ending battle. Um, it's a hmm. really good documentary, especially a good um, kind of foot in the door for comic books and knowing its uh, history and inception. So, All right. Yeah, those are the three things I'd recommend. Sweet. Um, I'll recommend a movie. Um, been a while since I've done one of those. Uh, the wife and I watched Mr. and Mrs. Smith recently. Um, it's not a high recommend, but like this is a pretty good time. And if you want to see a movie with some really well shot action and uh, like two leads that have really great chemistry, check it out. It's like a two hour movie. And like, it's not the best story, especially like the second half of the film. But like some, but the set pieces in the second half of the film were really great. Like the first half of the story, like with where it leads up to, is pretty good and really entertaining. And you know, up until the point where I mean, the the plot is that they both work for competing. This husband and wife both were competing for competing assassin um, companies, and then you know they find out that they're that that they are else, and so they're like trying to kill each other so they don't. Hopefully, you know the plot. Anyway, that's it, and. Uh, so like once they kind of figure it out and decide to work together, like that's probably two thirds, three quarters of the movie. And that's a really fun time. And then there's a couple set pieces, like the final set piece takes place in a knockoff Ikea. And yeah. there's a really fun um, uh, chase scene where our characters are in a minivan and they use it in some really creative ways. I had a blast. So it's not the best movie. Super watchable. Yeah. Super entertaining. Yeah. So, so that'd be mine. Uh, it is rotten on not any of those, but it's a it's a it's a solid time. Um, it doesn't deserve that. Uh, well, that's, that'll do it. Quick wrap. Uh, let's wrap. Quick reminder: Sip Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at StudioDNA.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. And if you want to write for SipPop.com, join the crew. You can send us an email um, at uh, Writers Room at SipPop.com. You can also use that email if you want to send a question to us for the B plot, something you want us to talk about more. Um, or if you want to, um, send some feedback, that'd be appreciative. Uh, or you can get in contact with me via Twitter or letterboxd at Schweitcastle or get in contact with the Sif Pop Twitter account. Uh, but that's ways you can check out me in the show. Uh, Joe, what do you want to send people to? Oh uh, yeah. You can find me on Instagram at the Star Spangled Avenger. Uh, talk about like comic books, anime, uh, collectibles of all types, action figures. Uh, yeah. just have a lot of, you know, kind of nerdy interests. Yeah. I uh I actually pulled up your Instagram yesterday because I was explaining to my in-laws like the podcast that we were recording. And I was like and I'm talking with this guy in like, you know, the West Coast that he like, you know, like he, here here's who he works with and all that. And, like that that's awesome and like him and his wife are really into cosplay and like <laughs> I was, like I had to go find so the, my go-to is the the Medusa one. That's that's some next level stuff. <laughs> yeah, my wife's so. really talented with that stuff. For sure. So, uh, well, great having you on again, as always. Um, yeah, always a pleasure. Uh, yeah. And uh, next month, uh, producer Phil will be joining the show. Uh, and we'll be talking about the Netflix properties that are moving over from Netflix to Disney Plus on March 16th. Um, I mean, they're already gone off of Netflix, but they'll be on Disney Plus on March 16th. 
So um, Jessica Jones, the Defenders, Daredevil, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. And um, the Punisher too, right? Oh shoot, and the Punisher, yeah. So we won't be talking about Agents of Shield uh, or um, well. Yeah, I think the Inhumans is already on ABC, but I hope we never have to talk about it. Uh, yeah, I, I, no, I think I've seen a episode. I, I don't. I don't think I need to watch it. I don't want to see a second of it. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the we'll we'll be checking out those Netflix shows. Um, so, or we'll be talking about those Netflix shows. So, um, yeah, that'll be next month. Next week, I'm joined by um, John, international writer, new writer, to be. Uh, uh, talk about some TV that we're catching up on. Uh, stay tuned for lots of good stuff. Some Oscars stuff coming up, and hundredth uh, um, episode coming up in two uh, two months. So uh, lots of good stuff coming up. So make sure to stick around, and uh, we'll catch you next time.